the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 234 for Monday, January 4th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the first Mac Geek Gab of 2010. Of the, uh, of the, what do we call this decade? Is it the, are we in the well, 20s? I don't, I, I don't know if it's technically a uh, decade. No, see, we talked about this. Okay, so here's the deal. Yes, Go. technically the millennium ended at the end of the year 2000, right? So the beginning right. of, of 2001 was the end of the millennium. And that that's technically mm. true. However, if we look at social convention, the 70s did not end in 1981. They ended in 1980. The 80s did not end in 1991. They ended in 1990. So social convention dictates that, that we are now in a new decade. All right. So we're definitely at some point in the future, which is awesome. Yes. All sorts of things will happen. Now, now what, what, how do you feel? I said 2010. Now, some people have said that 2010 is perhaps a more proper way to say it, but it takes longer. So you should just say 2010. Look for, for uh, most of our lives, you and I, John said 19 and then, and then the uh, final two digits, right. so ni- 1992. So, we never said 1992, right? So right. I, I'm going to go with 20 and, uh, and just roll forward with that. All right. And speaking of rolling forward, enough of this silliness and let's. Oh, there is one more bit, one more bit of silliness. uh, And I I can't take credit for this. I forget who can. But but as a uh, you know, as we look back on the decade before us, we have to have something to call it. We had the 90s prior to it. We had the 80s prior to it. We're in these this 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 decade of tweens or teens. But I'm pretty sure the previous decade was the noughties. Don't you think it was the noughties, right? Because we had the the aught one and the aught two and the aught three all the way through the aught nine. So that makes it the noughties. Oh, naught as in yes, as in a zero. Yes, not as naughty. Well, you know, you could. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out the Gen X, Gen Y, Gen this, Gen (laughs) that, whatever. It's a whole different thing. Uh, Yeah. So we do have uh, quite a bit to go through in this show. uh, we've got some great questions all over the place. We're talking about batteries. We've got some stuff about NTFS, which is actually really cool. Um, we've got we've got some migration stuff to talk about. We, Windows, even, yeah, not, not those Windows, not that Windows, not though, not uh, the Microsoft Windows, but we've got window management stuff to talk about. You know, the first thing I want to do though, John, is talk about our first sponsor, SmileOnMyMac.com with PDF Pen. Uh, now, PDF Pen is up to version 4.5. This is this is a piece of software that obviously been around for a while. What it allows you to do is manipulate and edit PDFs in a way that really no other app that I've found will let you do. And certainly not at this price point. It's forty nine ninety five uh, for PDF Pen, the regular version. And what it does is let's say you you have a a file. Now you can either start with a PDF or you can start with either text or an image and print out to PDF pen and then do things like add. If you have a scan of your signature, you can add that to, to a PDF. So if you, if you get something from like, if you use e-fax, right. And somebody faxes you something and says, sign it and fax it back. Well, you can sign it right there by pasting your signature in and then email it back to them as a, as an encapsulated PDF. Uh, You can edit the text inside a PDF uh, it actually uses the glyphs from the font that are embedded in to move text around. And you can so you can edit the text if you need to. Uh, you can move images around. And then version 4.5 has brand new uh, improved OCR engine, which allows you to take the text that's in a graphical PDF and turn it into uh textual data that you can then edit or copy and paste. And uh, maybe you could even take it and put it into a word document if you wanted. So uh, all of this is in PDF pen pro. Uh, and, and I believe it won. And I know it won a Macworld Eddie. I believe that was for uh, 2009, all available at smile on my uh, There is a free trial available, of course. So go ahead, just go download it, play with it, have fun. Uh, and then once you're, once you're hooked, 
it's uh, forty nine ninety five, and I know you will be because uh, I couldn't live without it. So uh, you know, and I use it. Uh, maybe I don't use it every day, but I certainly use it every week, and and sometimes even more than that. So smileonmymac.com PDF pen, and with that, we move on to Chris, and we're talking about Windows. It's a cool thing when we get multiple questions or tips. It all sort of kind of, you know, mold together into a topic. So uh, so we, we, we stumbled onto that. This yeah, week. and Windows, I, I think, are important, um, despite, I think, Microsoft trying to trademark the term. And I don't know if they won doing that. But um, different OSs, I think, handle the placement and, and priority of Windows in different ways. And, and you know, i got to say, Dave, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little more. Yeah. Shortly. But, you know, sometimes Windows, the operating system, does it, I think, in a better way than the Mac does sometimes. Yeah, sure. But then there's some questions and some answers which can kind of help that out. Yep. All right. So uh, Chris called. Hey, guys. This is Chris in Orlando, Florida. Long-time uh, listener, first-time caller. Um, I have an, a, a question about app calculator. Um, I just upgraded to a 27-inch um, iMac, and that is a sweet machine. Uh, I'm able to converge. I love conversion, so I'm able to convert, uh, converge uh, my iMac, my 20-inch iMac, and a second monitor all into that one 27-inch screen and do my work on one one screen versus two screens. But I do a lot of number crunching, and it's um, it, it kind of a pain to just constantly click down to um, activate the calculator and then uh, punch in the numbers, come back and do, do that repetitively. Uh, and I do that a lot of times during throughout uh, an hourly session, and, and I do this all day long. Uh, I don't want to have a separate calculator on my desk. I, I'm trying to eliminate uh, all that clutter on my desk. And I'm looking for a program that will allow me to keep calculator always on top. I have launch bar, but again, it, it, there again, I'm hitting all these keystroke commands to just try to get the calculator up and do yada yada. Um, if there is a way in which you can, uh, if somebody can recommend a program uh, that is Snow Leopard compatible, uh, that will allow me to have calculator always on top or a third-party calculator that does the same thing, I would appreciate it. Again, just doing simple math and calculations, nothing scientific and such. Uh, this is where you cut me off. And so we shall, Chris. I, Cut him off. I have one initial observation, Dave. I was go. thinking of this. It's a surprise, but... Yeah, go ahead. We love this. Well, I hope so. But no, uh, the thing that I do a lot of times, I will have when I'm doing a lot of numerical stuff, is I will have calculator running and I will do the old alt tab. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I found that in general is fairly intelligent. I, I don't know the exact algorithm, but I think it does have some intelligence in that the apps that you rotate between if you, if you visit them fairly recently when you do the alt tab it'll it'll bring you back to those more often than the ones that you haven't been to in a while yeah i'm still trying to figure that out but, i think but, but, it's just, but it seems to be kind of intuitive and, and windows in a sense is like that as well as if you alt tab between apps uh that you use and you keep all tabbing between them it seems to figure out you, you know you're probably using these and i'll i'll give these priority all right so, first of all hang on hang on for a second we're not no. we're not the windows geek cab we're the mac geek cab so it's yes, important to, it's important to note <laughs> that alt tab won't do a darn thing for you on your mac as far as i know but command well, tab, i'm sorry command tab command you're, tab you're well. correct thank you so which is the equivalent it, it rotates among all the running apps yes uh, although I did just use alt tab on my uh, on my iMac here in the studio and it did the same thing. But I'm pretty sure that's because I have uh, keyboard maestro four installed. Mm -hmm. So uh, okay. I think I think it does that with alt tab as well. But but uh, as as I understand it, when you hold down command tab, uh, it cycles through apps and will show you the most recently used app first. So it, it, mm -hmm. it just orders them that way. So if you're constantly bouncing between just two apps, uh, it, that that will work just fine. You know, you just hit alt tab. Or, <laughs> you got me saying it now, too. You, you hit command yeah. tab once and it'll bounce you back to the so, app you were most recently in. So in case Chris hasn't, you know, tried that, that, yeah. that is a, a poor man's initial approach to. And I find it works for me a lot of times, you know, when I'm doing taxes or just, you know, calculations yep. and the calculator's there, I usually come back to it. So uh, yep. uh, 
but I think he's looking for more. He is. Uh, And I will I will also kind of go off on a tangent here built into the OS, of course, is spotlight. And you get to that uh, unless you've changed the default by hitting command and spacebar. And or you can click in the upper right. But when you hit command and spacebar, you can then immediately jump to your number pad. You don't have to have calculator open. This is built into spotlight, Uh, but you could type, you know, any math you want up there and it will show you the answer. Uh, So for quick math, that might give you what you're looking for, Chris. Uh, Good one. And I use that constantly because I'm like you, Chris. I'm always just crunching little bits of numbers here as I'm bouncing around in my day. And, and that's how I solve that problem. However, if you want to answer and solve your actual query, which is to keep the calculator app always on top when it's open, there's a little utility from infinite labs and that's infinite hyphen labs.net called a float AFLOAT. And it does exactly what you're looking for. Uh, it will, allow you to keep, you know, certain windows on top of others. You can have certain windows pinned to the desktop. Uh, You can move windows from anywhere, not just from the title bar. So you can grab them by their edges and move them around. Uh, You can turn a window into an overlay. So that may be really what you're looking for with this calculator thing. Uh, So check it out. It's actually pretty cool. Uh, I didn't play with it a whole lot, but I did test it in it. It's going to do exactly what you asked for, Chris. So, uh, so there you go. That's yeah, and to toss this out, um, yep. another you know built into the OS may not be ideal, but could be a way to do this. And I know people that do this. Um, spaces. Some people yeah. will set up spaces to have certain apps in a space. I, I personally don't use it. I don't know if you do, Dave, but um, but my understanding is that yeah, when you define a space, it you know can contain certain apps and. You know, you could have one. I mean, it, it seems kind of wasteful. I don't know. But if you have a need, no, sir, you yeah. know, if you have a need for, you know, certain apps like calculator and some other things that you always want to have around and not be, you know, blocked by, you know, unless you use expose, but you don't want blocked by all the other stuff you're doing, then, right. you know, toss them in a space and have them running. And, uh, yeah, you know, of course, that goes against our, you know, thing of not having apps running unless you need them. But, you know, calculator, I don't think is a, a heavyweight in this regard. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, the next thing was on Twitter. Jim had sent me a link. Uh, actually, he'd sent both of us a, a link, John, asking mm-hmm. if we'd ever seen an app called Size Up. This is from irradiatedsoftware.com. And what Size Up does is it's sort of a, a granddaddy window manager. Uh, it allows you to do things like take a window and with a simple keystroke, or you can choose it from the Size Up menu. Uh, you can tell a window only take half of the screen, only take the right half, only take the left half, only take the top, only take the bottom. And it will zoom the window to exactly that size. Uh, you can tell it to center on the screen. You can tell it to move to the upper left corner, the upper right corner. You can tell a window to move to another space. Uh, you can tell a window to move to another monitor. Uh, or you can snap it back to uh, to what you had. So for me, this is huge. Because of the way I work, I have a cinema display that I hook up to my MacBook Pro. And on that cinema display, I usually have email on the left half and uh, Safari on the right. Sometimes, though, I'll have a Safari window that spawns something else and I'll wind up moving that. And then default Safari windows start opening in weird spots. This allows me to immediately with one keystroke, bam, move it over. And the cool part is you get to define what half of the screen means. By default, it's 50% left and right and 50% top and bottom. But I can say, now, you know what? I want Safari to get 60 on the right and I want mail to get 40 on the left. I can adjust the little slider in the preferences and boom, I'm good to go. So that's that's size up from irradiated software. They've got a couple other products there, too. They've got one called two up, John, that just does some of that functionality. Uh, and then they've got something called cinch. Uh, which allows you to manage your, and I haven't used this. So it allows you to uh, manage your windows by defining edges of the screen as hot zones. And you drag a window until the mouse cursor enters, enters that zone. And then bam, it locks into place. 
So uh, so they say that works better with single monitor setups as opposed to dual monitor setups. But all of this is available at irradiated software. And you can uh, not only can you download trials, but you can check out screencasts. They've got one of each of their 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 uh, uh, applications. And it's it's you know, makes it much simpler to understand what's going on. Yep. So, yeah, I saw those because I, I, I guess we'd probably agree that the, the, the default behavior of Mac OS 10 when you open another window in the finder is well actually probably not unpredictable but un not useful yes and then usually puts it very close to something you already have open and then you have to do the whole window shuffle game which uh, i hate doing so so yeah learning about these and and you and i are both going to check them out but i i would say that's one area where yeah os 10 is is you know it it's not smart these guys are smart so we're going to check them out while we're on the subject of window management, something always happens to me when I travel. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have iTunes and that normally opens in my big uh, display, right? When Your I travel, external, my external display. big display. That's okay. right. Yeah. I want to frame this because I think I know what you're going to say. But yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so every time I travel, I must, it, it, when, when I'm, when I'm not traveling, I, I blow up my iTunes window pretty big. I don't make it full screen, but I make it big enough to where I can, you know, make use of the screen and get some management out of it. When I travel, iTunes does not recalibrate itself automatically to the screen that it's forced to be on. So I'll have the bottom right corner of the window off the screen, either on the bottom off to the right or both. As you might imagine, John, this presents a problem. If I want to, do anything on the edges of the screen because I can't even resize it. And iTunes does something very interesting because if I hit the little, you know, if I go up into the upper left where there's the red button, which closes it, the red X, which closes it, the yellow thing, which minimizes down to the dock or the green one, which normally zooms, but in iTunes behaves a little bit differently. It toggles back and forth between the uh, mini player and the full screen. So, it, it it always leads me in a frustrating situation. However, I've found a solution. If you option or alt click on the yellow button in iTunes, uh, I think it's the yellow button, right? Or maybe it's option. It's uh, yeah, sorry. Option or alt click on the green button in iTunes. It zooms that to the full window. Uh, so of, of whatever that is and gives you the ability to then grab that lower right corner and resize it to whatever you want. So, uh, you I, know, that's a, a fish shake from me. Yeah. A, a little mini one to any operating system, be it Mac or Windows. As I, I've seen it, uh, I have a Dell Inspiron 9400. I'm probably going to upgrade it this year because it's kind of a wimpy machine. Uh, All right. You know, for, for development. But yeah. when I bring it into work and I always hook it up to an analog output, I have a Dell uh, external monitor. It has analog and digital input. The digital DVI is for my Mac. And the analog is to extend the output of my, my Dell 17-inch screen. And it, it, it's almost like a random number function, which screen it selects to be the primary screen in Windows. Now, yes, I'm running XP. I know I'm I'm a dinosaur in that case. I, I should upgrade. But but still, it, it it is almost random whether it picks the internal LCD or the external screen to be the primary. And if it even sees it at all, and I, I've seen this not so much on the Mac. I mean, the Mac, you can go to the display menu and say detect external displays, I, I think is the what it says in the menu. And it'll, it'll usually, if it hasn't already found, which I found Macs are better at this, but the, I, uh, the, the other point is that you know, apps should be smart enough to say, okay, the window was here at this coordinate, virtual coordinate in the screen space. That screen's not here anymore. Maybe I should relocate this window. And I'm, I'm just baffled the number of times I see this yeah. in applications on both platforms. Yeah. That either the API offered by the, the you know, Microsoft or Apple is insufficient or somebody's taking a shortcut saying, eh, yeah, they're not going to display, you know, they're not going to shut their machine down and open it up again with a different screen resolution, which is, yes, I may. Right. So I don't know who, who to shake my fist at, whether, whether it be Apple, Microsoft, or developers of applications that kind of take shortcuts and assume that you will not change your system configuration. But, but I find that aggravating. So well, in the case of iTunes, Apple gets 
the full brunt of the fish shake because okay, they're the, right. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's either the OS or it's iTunes, but it's certainly something in the campus there at Cupertino that, uh, that needs to be fixed. So, uh, but anyway, I, I go through that because, uh, I, I was just thinking about it today. I'm, I'm getting ready to leave for CES, uh, where I'll be. Wednesday. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm, it's going to be, it's a short trip. I'm flying out Wednesday night. I'm flying back Friday night. So, but at uh, least it doesn't overlap with, Macworld. Yeah. Thank no goodness. Kidding. I that's right. think. Yeah. And, and well, speaking, for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, it's I, I'm looking forward to uh, to Macworld Expo this year. I like the timing of it. I like the fact that I wasn't on a plane this past weekend. Uh, I think that's a very good thing. Uh, we uh, will be at Macworld Expo. Our uh, I'm trying to remember. and I don't have my calendar. I can pull up my calendar on my mm-hmm. iPhone to tell you when our podcasts are. Uh, but the uh, 11th, I believe. I believe so, I'm flying in on February 10th, which is a Wednesday. I believe we're having our thing. I'm doing it for memory day, but I just booked my flight, which. Yep, that the sounds deals right. are quite good. So yeah. I believe Thursday the 11th um, in the morning, I'm not sure if it was 10 or 11, you and I, I think we're actually, I don't know how this happened, but I think we're doing one of the first podcasts for the whole podcast stage there we are it's at 12 30 p.m the show floor opens at noon hmm. uh on on thursday the 11th it's open from noon to six on thursday the 11th 10 to six on friday the 12th and 10 to six on saturday the 13th so there saturday is, there is a weekend cool. thing yep uh we we're doing our uh live mac excuse me live mac geek cab 3 30 p.m on uh, thursday the 11th then my uh, running your Mac lean, clean and mean will be at 3 p.m. on that same day over in the West Hall. So I've got uh, I've got a hustle. And then Cirque du Mac 7 will be uh, that night at 8 p.m. And uh, and if you want tickets to that, let us know. We'll uh, I, th- I think we'll have we'll have some extras so we can we can uh, we can pass them out to our, our listeners because you're all our, our yep. favorites. And then yeah, we talked before. I, 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 I think you may give me one or two. Uh, Nancy, <laughs> I think will be there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Several TMO staff. Yeah. So if you if you know what we look like and, and you want to take it, we can probably. And then out. on Saturday at 1030 a.m., Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. 1030 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, the Mac Roundtable podcast happens on the main stage. Uh, oh, so. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, so and I don't know how that's going to work. There's a lot of people signed up for it. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It might we might split it in half or, or do something. But but anyway, that's what's happening at Macworld Expo. Uh, it is February 11th through 13th. We have we do have a hotel mm-hmm. deal through uh, Hotel Milano while we're talking about it and sort of on a. On a, on a tangent, if you will. Uh, so you can get, uh, I think, 155 a night through our deal, which is 30 bucks off their, their uh, published rate through mm-hmm. MacWorldExpo.com. So you can check that out at, uh, at MacObserver.com. All right. It's time to move into our questions, I think, John, is the, is the right move here. Think so? Yeah, I do. And are we going to? Yep. And, Scott. And we'll go, yeah, let me find Scott. So Scott writes... Here's a good discussion item for one of your upcoming shows. How about discussing the best way to migrate from an old Mac to a new Mac, specifically if the old Mac is PowerPC based running Leopard to a new Intel based running Mac Mac running Snow Leopard. The backstory. I have a 27 inch iMac on order. As soon as it comes in, I want to migrate off my PowerBook to the iMac. Be nice if I could just migrate everything that is not PowerPC specific to the new iMac. But I'm old enough to know that this is not going to be a smooth transition. Can you discuss what those of us who received shiny new Macs can expect during the migration? Okay. Um, Number one. Yeah. I'm going to toss it out. But yeah. um, So he's going from an old machine to a newer architecture. Now, obviously, the, the big problem is you're going from PowerPC to Intel. Um but I would, one thing I would do because I did this when I did migrate from a you know older PowerPC machine to to my Intel machine was uh, when I went for my uh, PowerBook yeah. <laughs> G4. Um, I looked at all the apps and made sure that if I had an app, I would go to System Profiler, look in the uh, I believe it's the Applications category, and it will show you in one of the columns what the state of the application is and it'll either say universal power pc intel etc 
Um, one recommendation I would have is before he does the migration is to try to, um, you know, just as a pre-flight thing, upgrade any apps that are PowerPC only and there is a, you know, update available like Graphic Converter and, you know, all sorts of apps. I, I mean, it, it depends on the developer. Some of them just decided, you know, I'm just going to toss out a universal app. Some said, all right, I'm going to make an Intel only because, you know, it's, it is smaller because they don't have to bundle all the code. So, uh, perhaps one thing and just to, to get a feel for what you may run into when you do the upgrade is to run system profiler anyways and look at your apps through and, and just to see what category they're in because not only apps but drivers and other things may have little hiccups if they are power PC only so that that would be my you know first you yeah. know, bout of recon to before you actually I mean you won't hurt anything um, but but in order to make the uh, the process smoother and uh, and what do you have, Dave? Yeah, so you know, I, I'll I'll kind of rewind a little bit on on Scott's question. He he thinks it won't be smooth. I I beg to differ. I the last migration I did from a PowerPC iMac to an Intel iMac was actually right here in the studio, and it went very smoothly with the migration assistant. Mm-hmm. However. That was prior to Snow Leopard. In fact, I still haven't put Snow Leopard on this machine because, you know, I'm following the if it ain't broke, don't fix it rule. And so what OS did you go from and whatever the current release of Leopard was at the time? So if it let's just say for for example, it was ten point five point four. If it was ten five four on the on the new iMac, it was ten five four on the old iMac. So this was a, you know, apples to apples in terms of OS migration but it was power pc to intel now uh going to snow leopard i think you're still going to be okay but there's a couple things uh as you said john you want to make sure you have intel or at least universal versions of as many apps as possible if not the process will almost certainly install or enable rosetta which is the power pc translation engine that exists uh, in the on the iMac on the Intel Macs these days, and if uh, I recall, Dave, I I don't know if by default it installs that, does it? No, or at least no. from what I recall, when I when I upgraded, now again it wasn't on a, a PowerPC machine, but I do not remember it explicitly saying. Uh, I think the advice I had was, yeah, you know, go to customize. I think it's customize button. Um, or options and and you can pick that but yeah i don't believe by default they do that which to me is uh, because unless you're fresh out of the box you're you you know uh, anybody who's migrating from a prior version they should almost enable that by default i think and they don't i don't know why well i think they don't because if you don't need it there's no reason to clutter up the os with it and to apple's credit they've made it pretty smooth i on one of my machines i did not uh, go into customize and check that box. I, I think I just skipped that step. Mm-hmm. And when I went to run Quicken, which is the the lone holdout power PC <laughs> app that uh, that we run here at the Hamilton Homestead, uh, mm-hmm. it the, the system popped up a little message. It basically I don't remember the wording exactly, but oh. it said you need Rosetta. Uh, should I turn it on? And you say yeah, and then it either just enables it from the packages that are there or it downloads it over the internet, but it in in some capacity it was other than the "Are you sure you want to do this?" It was totally oh, okay. seamless to the user. Okay, so so you did not have to. Uh, my my fear would be that they're like, okay, insert you know, like Windows does, right? <laughs> At least older versions. It, so it did not prompt you. Oh, by the way, do you have your Snow Leopard CD or DVD? Which of course you didn't. No. <laughs> No, of course not. not at that point in time. No. So, okay. So, so they either install it in the background or yeah, whatever they're doing is good. Okay. Because that, that is probably one of my, again, fish shakes Yeah, is windows or any OS that says, give me this CD or DVD. And it's like, Oh dude, you, you can't, you can't ask a user to, you know, have, you know, total, you know, recall on where yeah. all their DVDs and CDs are for, for the apps. So that's, so that's cool. Okay. So it's seamless. If you happen to come across an app that needs Rosetta, it will, it will prompt you or, or install it or activate it. That's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it worked great. So, uh, you know, uh, 
I, I, I don't think Scott's, I don't think, and I think he's already been through this process, right? We actually sent a lot of this feedback to him via email when the, uh, when his query first came in, because we knew it was a timely thing, but, uh, but I think he's been through the process and I think it worked pretty well for him. So, uh, and, and I, and I, and I expected it would. So, uh, you know, I'm going to jump quick to Pierre here, John, because it's a sort of a relevant question based on something that you said. And Pierre writes question for you guys. One needs the install disks to fix problems with this or reinstall the operating system. My question is whether someone who bought a computer that initially ran Tiger and is now running Snow Leopard needs to keep the original disk for these tasks, or is the Snow Leopard disk the one to use? Uh, so, uh, you know, here's here here's my take on it. Uh, I don't think it. No, the Snow Leopard disk is all you need. It is a full install. Even if you bought the upgrade version, it is a full install. We we've covered that. Lots of people have covered that. It is definitive. Uh, you're, you're fine with that. That said, personally, I always keep them uh, more often than not. I wind up, uh, they, they're valuable only in that I wind up loaning them to friends who are running older versions and don't want to upgrade and say, Oh gosh, I, right, I lost right. my discs. You know, can you help me out? And you know, neighbors or whatever, like, Oh yeah, yeah do you have this? And I'm like, yeah, of course I do. So I always save it. The discs are small, it, you know, but if you want to clean out clutter, you don't need them for that machine. So that that's my take on this, John. Right. Yeah. I was going to violently disagree with you, but okay. I'm only going to going to somewhat disagree with you. But um, no, I would say that the probably the only reason you want to have the initial install disk is there may be the slight chance that even though the latest OS claims to support some piece of hardware or other, well, no, mostly hardware. Um, the disks that came with the machine are guaranteed to work with the hardware that is in the machine, assuming you have not changed anything. So if you want to get back to pristine, virgin, nothing is wrong, I hope, um, assuming the OS support is, is you know, stable, um, that is the only reason I would I would include those. Um, I'm, I'm just uh, kind of floundering here because... Yeah, for the most part, I and I think we talked about it before, Dave. Um, you're assuming Snow Leopard has the support if it's going to install on 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 an older machine that it whatever is in that machine is you know effectively supported. So right, uh, right. So I would say for nostalgia, or again, just if you think the machine is is dying or there's a question as to its you know health, yeah, that is when I would take the original installed discs. You know, of course, back up your data as best you can. Reinstall the original OS if the machine is still doing whatever weird stuff it's doing, assuming it's still under warranty, or even if it's not. Uh, that is a baseline. So, so I would say for for the the turbo geeks out there, yes, keep those discs. For for the most part, though, if you resell it, you know, as long as the machine is guaranteed to work under Snow Leopard or whatever OS uh, that they claim it works under, you, you'll be cool. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, our second sponsor for this show is Circus Ponies at CircusPonies.com and their notebook product. Notebook is built to organize information in topical uh, yet broad reaching ways. What you do is you fire up the app and the first thing you'll see is a blank. looks like a yellow line notebook or even a white line notebook. Uh, and you can start typing right in there. You can tab in and, and build little hierarchies and then it gets really cool because you can pull in all kinds of media. You can pull in, as we've talked about before, if you've listened to the show, uh, you can pull in PDFs, you can pull in images, you can pull in scans, uh, you can annotate those, uh, you can add keywords and then when you need something, uh, you can search for it and you don't just have to search uh you can you can search for things in, in many different ways. So if you remember, oh, I put this in last Tuesday, you can search by the date you added it. If you remember a keyword that you added, you can search that way. And you can even use uh, their multi-dex to search across multiple notebooks. So if you have one notebook for school, one for home, one for this, one for that, I, I think it's, you know, it's a great way to store your data and organize it. And in fact, uh, a listener... And I believe it's Daniel. Yes. Listener Daniel uh, uses it to uh, 
as he listens to the Mac keycap, he drags in the MP3 file into the notebook, plays it there and then goes through and builds his own show notes, uh, adding his links, adding his own notes so that he's got an annotated version. And he shared this with us and I've been able to share it with all of you. Uh, it's uh, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. In fact, it's already there. At, it's at MacGeekGab.com slash MGG underscore notebook underscore example. But you can see he's got four or five different episodes of MacGeekGab in this example. And uh, and it's pretty cool to see how he's done this. So you can check this out uh, and then you can go download, of course, a free trial of Notebook at uh, CircusPonies.com. And then once you're hooked, it's forty nine ninety five. Sounds like a similar thing. And, uh, you know, we, we love that the... Uh, Software vendors allow us to download a free trial because that way, you know, you're, you know, you're getting what you want once you go and purchase because you've already been using it. Uh, and all you got to do is add your license to it. You don't even have to reinstall the app. So circusponies.com place. You can get notebook version 3.0 49.95. Got anything to add there, John, as we, uh, as we move Excellent. here. All right. No, we love these guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Douglas here, we got to oh, go to. Do- oh, yeah. Okay. Steven? All right. Okay. Yeah. No, I, well, I, I like Steve. Uh, Stevens is good, but, but no, we'll do, we'll do, both? we'll do, boy, we're definitely going to do both. So we'll do them. We'll do Steven Excellent. first. Steven writes, I was just using my first gen MacBook on my lap when I realized it felt odd underneath. I turned it over and to my surprise, saw that the battery was bowed out of shape. I took it out of the computer and saw that the plastic cover had expanded away from the metal body of the battery. He attached some pictures so that we could see what he meant. And man, is he right? I mean, this thing, it, it's got a, this a is clear where pictures on it. help. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and we will jump in right here, Dave. Uh, he said, if, well, let me, let me finish his question. He says, uh, yeah, I'm wondering what to do now. Replacement batteries are something like 90 pounds. And I use my iMac as my main machine. Anyway, I use an iMac as my main machine. Anyway. Yeah. Got it. Okay. What's the best way to dispose of the battery? Also, is it safe? just to use the MacBook from the AC adapter with no battery on a long-term basis. I don't want to leave the battery attached in case it expands more or even explodes. So I'm going to answer his two questions quickly because I know your fists are shaking over there, John. Uh, (laughs) So number one, no, as we've determined, you cannot use your laptop without the battery in effectively, Uh, effectively. It's it's not a good mode to be running in for, there are yeah. times when the CPU will draw more power than the AC adapter can provide by itself. And that's what the battery is there for. It's built this way. It's built so that it will do some trickle draining on the battery, even if you leave it on the bench. So, no, you can't. Uh, uh, and But you're right. You don't want to leave the battery attached because it will eventually uh, explode and maybe leak or worse. So, uh, So, John, take it from there. Well, I would just say is so. Number one, my my advice is, and uh, so we have um, a number of photos from Stephen here of the battery. It is clearly all right. So, alert to all our listeners: if you look at your battery and it is not a, uh, I would say, cubic or rectangular shape, this is very bad. And 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 we have the picture. I think we'll post one of them. I, I think we'll post it in the show notes, Dave. We'll we'll find yeah. an image server. But no, it is put definitely it, put it up. You you can embed images into the the show notes. Expression engine will let you do that. It's definitely curved. Yeah. So uh, to me, that indicates that something in the battery is chemically not right. It ain't so right. Immediately, it, it, it ain't right. So immediately, and, and and my speculation, Dave, and I think you concurred with this, is if you brought this battery assuming it's an Apple battery, not a third-party battery, to any Apple authorized service center or Apple store. Uh, I, I'm assuming, Dave, and maybe I'm taking taking liberty here and our Apple friends who are listening would, would you know, help clue me in here. I would think they would quietly take this and give you another one. And say, I, that's please my, don't yeah. talk about this. That's right. <laughs> please destroy all the pictures you have of this. Now, the thing is, Apple is not unique in the industry in having batteries that have exploded because Apple does not make the batteries for the most part. It's right. Sony right. or even other lower level, you know, companies you never heard of are making the batteries. And, and, and every company has had a problem with this. Dell, Sony, Apple, everybody has had problems because, you know, it's, it's, it's complex chemistry, but sometimes they get it wrong. And when they do... This is what happens. So 
yeah, I guess the first thing is if 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 you see any <laughs> if anything on your Mac is starting to grow or change shape, <laughs> including the battery, be very concerned and check it out. And and if if it looks like it, as you know we saw in the picture, if your battery is is changing shape or oozing or whatever, you know, go to the Apple store. Don't even go to the app. You know, put it in a bag or something. Yeah, because I mean, some of these chemicals in the batteries are are, are fairly nasty. Not not as bad as the lead acid days, <laughs> you know, of old. But still, um, that's that's what I got to say. It's a you know you got to you know that they they don't they hate this problem. I think is and, and it keeps happening, which kind of bothers me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, definitely be be aware of your uh, your your bulging batteries, right? i wonder if the if the uh, i'm curious though if the battery utilities would would even give you a hint that this is you know happening i doubt it i think unless you know a cell you know craps out and you know all of a sudden your capacity like drops to you know some weird figure that you're like huh yeah that's possible you know in snow leopard uh, will tell you if your battery's capacity, you know, it'll say service battery. So perhaps that, that, yeah. I mean, if, if one of the cells blows out, uh, but I don't know that, that it would, I mean, I had this problem, uh, not, not the bulging battery, but I had a battery where one of the cells went bad and, um, the, the system didn't know what to do. In fact, it would, the, the symptom I saw, and this is something certainly to look out for, is it would get down to, you know, like 34% on the battery and everything was fine. And as soon as it would go to 33%, the system would just shut off. And that was it. No warning. Hmm. No, you're about to dot nothing because it was assuming that that cell was going to be able to provide power to me as it kind of handed off from the one that was depleting to the next one. And the next one was like, I got nothing, you know, that was it. And, and so it would just go dark. So, uh, well, I don't know. We'll see because, both my batteries actually come up as service battery on my MacBook. Oh, are you under Apple Care? Yes, I am. Well, you remember the, the story I told a couple of weeks ago, yes. right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good. The thing is, I have two batteries, so I'm I'm still and, and the thing is Yeah, but uh, I did that with two, remember? I, I did it with two that No, I know, day. and I, okay. I think I'll 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 do it, but the thing is uh, for the most part I'm I have three at least in my household, I have one in the bedroom, one in the office, one in the downstairs area. So I have three Apple power adapters, which okay. some people may say is weird, but I do. Smart. And no matter where I am in the house, I always have a power adapter and I'm typically running off of that unless I'm on the road. So, um, but no, it says just, just that, make sure your cycle is, counts are less than 300 um, or, or uh, at yes, least perhaps when you're on the phone, you might. Uh, misread what it's telling you and uh yes i've I've been prone to do that so (laughs) no they're both below that no they're below i use a uh what the heck is it well they're gonna they're gonna ask you for uh i have battery profiler well here we go no i have battery health monitor this one battery that's in here now yeah charge cycles 250 oh you're getting close 63 percent no i like this tool battery health monitor of course we'll link to it and this battery is uh 5600 milliamp hours max it is now at 4122 oh 74% no i like this tool it 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 very nicely shows you the you know relevant statistics for the battery i think in a way that you know is easy to uh, understand no i i know we've had listeners who have used the output from this tool to get a new battery yep saying you know here here's the stats and they're like yep so anyways i'm i'm not in a rush because I have two batteries and I am usually near a power. Yeah. Power plug. Yeah. 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 It's just, or, you know, you've got Macworld Expo coming up, so you're going to want those, uh, those batteries uh, to be may have full, to full get juice. a new one or get them replaced. Okay. You, you're right. You, you'll, they'll, re- they'll replace them if you're under Apple care and under 300 I charge am. cycles. So yeah. Okay. Right. I'm going to call them tomorrow. So here's what'll happen, man. If you call them tomorrow, tomorrow's Tuesday on Wednesday, new batteries will arrive. Splendid. Yeah. Love it. I know. It's great, man. Apple care is right. totally worth it. If we, if we haven't said it before and, and I know we have, uh, for we'll say it again. Well, for what? And I will any, say definitely for any for Mac portables. 
I'll, uh, I, I'm going to say I, for, I'm going to smack you down, man. Yeah. Well, I think certainly IMAX, definitely Mac Minis. The one place where I might be swayed not to okay. get it is right. a, a tower desktop. But even okay. that, where else are you going to get the hardware? If your motherboard goes, you're not going to go down to, you know, Best Buy and, and pick up a new motherboard. It's going to be 800 bucks. All right. I will differ with you in this one respect is all of the desktop Macs I've had, I've never gotten Apple Care and I've, I've been cool. On the, but Portables, uh, iMacs totally aren't desktop Macs. Story. iMacs are not desktop. No, I realize Macs. that. Okay. No, I have a, I have a, you know, G5. Yeah, 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 yeah. On, on those, no, I'm with you. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, iMacs are are an interesting breed. Yeah, yeah they're, it's a they're laptop. Not well, it's not a it's yeah. not a desktop. No, really, it, it's a laptop in a in a more permanently affixed case. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Where All right. are we? We're on to Douglas. And Douglas. Oh, groovy. Let's see. I'm trying to think. That, 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 uh, okay. Uh, I'm just going to start at the top. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where to go. Okay. Douglas says, thank you for answer, answering my question in show 228 on using Time Machine alongside Carbon Copy Cloner. It was very helpful. During your answer, you mentioned that Snow Leopard is read only for NTFS. If possible, I'd like to clarify this. I've read in a few places that Snow Leopard can write to NTFS partitions, but apparently not by default. I'm sending a couple of links that explain how to change this setting. Could you please take a look at them and let us know if it is actually possible? I'd love to have your take on it. All right. Uh, so he did send a couple of links. And John, of course, being our resident uh, NTFS using dude, uh, went ahead <laughs> and took a look at this. So, John, tell us what uh, tell us what you found. I'm going to say that of the links that were sent to us, uh, the one that was most on the mark was the one um, MacRumors.com. Our pals over there have a form. And this listed the solution. Now, the thing was, it listed a couple of different solutions. So the one that did not work, and we'll blow past this pretty quick. So uh, the thing is, there are a number of ways in OS X or any Unix operating system to tell the operating system how to deal with a drive that is new to the system. Now, the the solution that they offered that did not work but should have, and it was kind of weird, I'll mention it you know briefly, is um, there's a file called fstab. Right. Um, and if you look, I believe it's a etc. So if you go to your terminal and you change directory to etc, and then you say uh, something like cat, um, which is catalog, which in Unix uh, spits out the contents of a file. And here I'm going to say fs tab up oh, i'm sorry it's not fs tab it's fs tab eh, it's right. fs tab it's oh, fs tab yeah you got it right nope because i'm going to say there's a fs tab.db file but uh, i'm sorry so in in leopard it, it's one file and in snow leopard it's another but let's ignore that so anyways the one way that that unix can tell what the drive is that it's mounting is a file called fstab. And the, one of the articles suggests that the thing is it didn't work under Snow Leopard. Changed the file. I went fstab. I gave it the, and what you do, it's basically a text file where you give it a label or a UUID, which did not work either of a drive. And you give it the read or write permissions. So the one thought was let's change fstab. And then when you mount an NT, NTFS drive, which is, new technology file system it'll work it did not so that didn't work that's very sad what will work will you ask and <laughs> what will act what will work i do ask <laughs> <laughs> so what works is the in the discussion thread on mac rumors they brought up a solution that i verified did work and i actually took a drive again on behalf of you the listener uh, a, a total uh, a drive which uh, I put at risk, but it worked out. So the other way to do this is there is a command in the slash sbin directory under OS X called mount underscore ntfs. This is the command that mounts a ntfs um, drive. Now the thing is normally, and here's the tricky part, and this article goes into detail, but I will cover the high level is that what you want to do basically is change the name of the mount NTFS command to something else and then create a little script that runs 
mount NTFS. But what happens is when the OS goes to this mount NTFS command, it instead launches a script. And what the script does is includes the flags on the command line of RW, which means read and write. And I verified that once I did this and I plugged in my NTFS drive, when I plugged it into OS 10, Snow Leopard, it showed up and it did not have. Now, normally when you look at the window of drive, if it is read only, you will see in the lower left-hand corner, a little tablet with a pen and I think a line through it saying, right, I can't write to this. Sorry. Right, right. And I verified that. Using this method, I was able to copy a whopping big, uh, because I wanted to see, you know, all right, well, it says the drive can write. Yeah, but right. Let me sure. check it out. And so I wrote like a 50 megabyte movie file over to the drive. It, it, it transferred over in what I think is a reasonable amount of time. I played it back. It played back. Okay. I will not guarantee that this is, and, and, and that's where I'm kind of scratching my head is if you could do this. Why don't they enable it by default? And I don't know if they just don't want to get into a big, you know, compatibility deal with NTFS and, you know, which is kind of a legacy file system. I mean, a lot of people use it that run Windows machines, but I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I don't know what, what your take is, Dave, but why would they not enable this? Because it's clearly through the command line, something that you can do at least with the current version of the OS. All right. So here's, here's the, and this is conjecture. I don't have any information no, to support this belief, but the only thing that makes sense to me is either they haven't, they've tested it and they know that there's something wacky about it. And in certain circumstances with the right drive or the wrong drive in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing, you lose data. Right. And they probably, you know, so mm. if, if they saw that in the lab, they would say, all right, screw it. We're not doing this, you know, just make it read only and people can plug in a drive and read from it. But we're not going to go down the path of supporting people writing to this because we haven't tested it enough. Either we've tested it a little bit and found problems or we just haven't tested it and we have no idea and we we don't want to support it. It's we don't need to HFS plus. And OK, so here's the other thing as, as we're just sort of talking out loud here, because mm. that's what we do. Uh, yep. HFS plus supports all of the things that Mac OS 10 needs. It's it supports FS events so that you can do, uh, you know, time machine and all that stuff. You start running this stuff on an NTFS drive and uh, you know, okay, now there's weird permissioning things happening that, you know, Apple didn't build into the OS. So it might, you know, and I'm, I'm with you on that because NTFS, when I've used it in the workplace, NTFS has an advantage in a Windows, uh, primarily in vi Windows environment, right? That it has, you know, very fine grained, kind of like Unix, which is well, <laughs> was part of the inspiration for for NT and NTFS, right? I mean, you read the books, right? But anyway, so they try to emulate that um, in NT, but yeah, sometimes it doesn't always cross over. Yeah, it does. Right, it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think that's why they do it. They, it, it comes down to there's no there's not enough of a need for Mac users to need to, you know, to write to an NTFS volume that it's worth Apple opening up this can of worms to have to actually support it for the masses. When when, you know, Timmy goes out and buys a drive that has NTFS <laughs> on it and plugs it in and, and, you know, six months down the road, loses all his data because some wacky or loses access to all his data because some permissioning bit got turned on that nobody expected. You know, I, I think I think that's where it is. That's my guess. All right. And we've covered, I think, uh, Paragon is one company yeah. that makes a product. And uh, there's a NTFS 3G, I think, which is something I found, an open source thing that lets you read and write from. So if you need to, but yeah, I would say in general, yeah, don't, don't, yeah, you probably <laughs> don't want to use NTFS. Yeah, at least not writing. NTFS on the Mac. I mean, right. it can be done, but yeah, I'd be, uh, I would question, you know, seriously why you need to do that. Right. Right. Uh, all right. One more. We will, uh, we've had this one on the, on deck for a couple of weeks and it's a quick one, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll go to John. Oh. John writes, 
Yesterday, I began to get this alert warning when trying to delete emails from my inbox. It happens randomly, perhaps with emails that have ads in them or are from those not in my address book. But the strange thing is I've deleted emails from all these vendors before without getting this warning, which makes me suspect it's not about the sender. After a couple of tries, it will, in fact, delete. Is it possible there's some sort of malware implanted in the mail system? I think I clicked on a bogus Christmas shopping scam email the other day by accident. Uh, The offer of Photoshop for only 99 bucks was too much for me to resist. Uh, And the screenshot does show that the message doesn't exist and can't be deleted, even though it's still there. Uh, My guess is that the each mailbox in Mac OS 10 in Mac OS 10's mail.app is contains individual files for uh, every message. Okay. And this is done so that spotlight can index and archive all of that stuff and then go and find those messages when it needs to. However, it's very inefficient. If you're going to pull up a list of all the messages in a mailbox to repeatedly traverse through all these files, what the best thing is, is to build an index and traverse them once And then update the index every time something changes, i.e. you move a file to the mailbox or you remove a file from it. I'm going to go ahead and guess that the inbox is okay because files are moving into that just fine. But perhaps the index for the trash mailbox is corrupted. And as you're trying to move things into that, sometimes it lets you, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes there's an issue, sometimes there's not. What I would do is click on your trash mailbox. So go into mail, click on trash, and then go to the mailbox menu and choose rebuild. Uh, And Snow Leopard, uh, that will always work. If you have multiple accounts and you're in Leopard, you need to twist down the little triangle uh, and tell it to rebuild each of the sub trash mailboxes separately. If you don't have a triangle, then don't worry about it. It means you don't have multiple accounts uh, on the machine. But that's going to be my guess. I've seen this issue uh, in Snow Leopard a couple of different ways and in Leopard, actually, a couple of different ways. Uh, But uh, but that's going to be my guess. So anytime you're having funky issues with a mailbox in mail, uh, go ahead and choose the rebuild option. Always safer to have a backup ahead of time, uh, as with anything, because it's possible if there was some corruption and it goes and rebuilds it, you might lose access to the data now. Really, what this rebuild does is it, in theory, wipes out the index and then goes and rebuilds it for that mailbox by reading all of the individual files. So you shouldn't lose any data. In fact, you might get more data than you counted on because there might be some things that weren't included in the index, but Hmm. always safer to have a backup uh, beforehand just in case. But uh, but that would be the first step here. So. That's that's my theory. I'm with you because actually Eudora, I actually have had on occasion and I'm still trying to track down the cause of the error. But sometimes when I try to delete messages, it says IO error. Mm. That the file is, uh, yeah, uh, someday I know, Dave, I got to migrate from (laughs) Eudora 6.4.2, I think is what I'm running. And no, I have not looked at the, uh, I know they have a, is it Thunderbird? I think Thunderbird. Yeah. Upgrade. Yeah. I haven't looked at that. You, you know, it, it's, a, me, it's not an upgrade. Work. It's a, it, uh, here's the deal, John. Thunderbird's a or different. Or it's the open source uh, yeah. foundation. It's a different email client. Uh, if you're going to well, bother. Well, that's no good. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. St- sorry. If you're going to bother to move from Eudora to yeah. anything, I would just move to mail. Yeah. 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 And the reason is this here. Here's the thing. Here's why there are no. Well, uh, I know it integrates with the OS. I mean, it's it's well, it's, it's, it's it's more than that. Though. Friendly. It's more Go. than that. Here's why there are no other real uh, email clients for the Mac. And some may argue entourage. And, and you're right. You know, Microsoft does develop that. And, and then there's Outlook coming, presumably in in office, whatever. No, it it's is, coming. And actually, I use yeah. entourage and I I for my, you know, nine to five work. It's perfectly usable yeah. in an enterprise on the Mac. Yeah, the, the I pro- like it. The problem, with, the big problem with Entourage is everything is stored in one database file. So if you have some corruption, you're screwed. Uh, and especially if your email archive grows pretty big. But but Entourage exists. However, uh, there really is a, a a notable lack of 
third-party email clients, right? I mean, we used to have yes. Mailsmith, Eudora, right? Uh, you know, uh, there was the, the one with the cyber whatever, but I can't remember the name of it. But there were- CyberDog? Cy- no, CyberDog no. was a FTP client, wasn't it? Or was it Yeah, Mail? it was a bunch of things. Yeah. But, uh, All right, but anyway, anyways. The, the reason is that Mac OS X's mail on its own, it's not perfect. It doesn't do everything that everyone needs. But Apple was really smart. They made it extensible. And what that means is that instead of some third party uh, out, out there writing their own completely separate mail app, what they can do is write an extension for Apple's mail. And, and there's hooks to build into all different places in Apple's mail. And so you put this extension in there and you extend the functionality of Apple's mail and add the things that you would want. Some people want a three pane view. So somebody figured out a way to do that with an extension. You want to file messages with your keyboard. And I can't imagine living in mail without okay. this. There's a, there's a utility from, uh, from uh, InDev software called mail act on, and I can File messages by hitting, you know, control G for Mac Geek Gab or control nice. T for TMO. Right. But there's all sorts of stuff out there that that a- allows you to add on to mail. And and Hawkwings used to be the blog. I don't I don't mm. think he's updated Hawkwings in a long time. OK, because uh, I use with Eudora, I use a uh, spam sieve. Yeah, I think you, right. You turn me on to which Absolutely. Eudora, in a sense, has a extensible, but but I think it's it's creaky because yeah, yeah, I get these I/O errors when I try to delete messages, certain type of messages, and I'm like, right, what do you mean I/O error? I mean, come on, dude, that's so eighties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I the. And and spam sieve does. It's got a it's got a little plug in thing that you can use with mail. And in Snow Leopard, a lot of these things got better because they they enhanced yeah. the extensibility of it. So, so that's why the that's why there's this this dearth of of other email apps is because you can you can't do everything you want with mail. It's not perfect even with all the extensions, but it is flexible enough that it's simply not worth it to someone yeah. to write something else. I'll I'll think about it. All right, there you go. And it is nice having it integrated with the OS. I have yes. to, you know, admit. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen the hooks it has in the dot .Mac and all that other stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's cool. And, yeah. You know, on that note, Dave? I think it's t- on that note, it's time to bring in uh, some music. But on that other note, oh, my gosh, Dave. Yes. Dave. John. Dave. <laughs> I know how to find you. You know how to find me. But how do they find us? I think they find us by, you know, just get off your butt, pick up the phone, and dial 206-666-GEEK. And you don't even have to get off your butt, because that's 4335. We're going to tell you right here. It's 206-666-4335. If you're sitting there and you've got an iPhone in your hand, uh, you can even record an audio comment. You don't even have or to dial the phone. Touch. Or an iPod Touch. That's right. You can record an audio comment using the Voice Memo app. And then you can email that to us Where? at feedback at macgeekgab.com. Now, Dave, did you say feedback at macgeekgab.com? You know I said feedback at I just want to make sure that That's you right. said feedback at macgeekgab.com. <laughs> and then you can visit macgeekgab.com all by itself without the feedback at uh, to get the show notes. Uh, if you are a premium subscriber... Uh, we ask that you email us at premium at macgeekgab.com. Now, we do that for two reasons. One, yes, we do make sure we look at uh, all the stuff that comes into premium. Uh, we try to look at everything that comes in, but uh, for the premium shows, we try to fill those with uh, with the stuff that comes into premium, although some of that stuff is going to fill in here. Uh, we're trying not to answer yep. non-premium questions in the premium shows, but we can't make any promises. So uh, we do appreciate the uh, the support from all of you that have subscribed. And uh, if you're on the fence, come and join us. We're having a lot of fun with the uh, with the premium shows too. And I, I got to promise, Dave, we we love all of you equally. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, premium, we couldn't do this premium without... Premium or otherwise. That's right. Absolutely right. We, we <laughs> couldn't do this without you. So, no, it's, it's great. Oh, I love it. Oh, I got some... Ho- oh, it's so sweet. Yeah, yeah, no, I got a couple of holiday cards from some listeners. Yeah. It was very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've been out of action for two weeks, at least from the workplace. So it was kind of a shock today. Oh, yeah, that's right. Going back to the, the old grind. Yep. Uh, Though uh, my badge worked, I got in the door. <laughs> that's a good you know. sign. <laughs> 
that, that, that uh, especially for a company that's yeah you know like most companies are yeah pulling back uh having that badge work and getting you in the front door is a big plus that's a big deal yep uh, lunch today another big deal oh. iphone alley is where Michael Johnston is when he's uh, finished converting the AAC for you, and it's huge uh, that he does this, both iPhone Alley and that he does the AAC mm-hmm. for us. Uh, Cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebone Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through Backbeat Media's podcast network. I think that's it, John. We can go. And I can go to CES. Right. That's the plan. You know what gets me, though, is, oh, you know, it it pained me to see in the country. There were so many people driving around in the horrible weather. (laughs) I don't know what to say, but... Dave, I, I really hope none of them got caught. Made up.